I implemented it. And that's what I did. I implemented that base training into my running, which is probably the most critical time period. It's not the actual half marathon training, guys. So for those of you that are looking at half marathons, you found this video because you're like going into half marathon training and you, you are like, hey, like I want to start half marathon training. Reframe your mindset and think about, oh, couple months before I'm actually half marathon training, I need to be dedicated to building the foundation. Because if I have a weak foundation, like the house on top, the half marathon training on top is not going to be what you want to get out of it. If you have ever asked yourself, how do I run a race injury free, or get out of the constant injury cycle, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Running a half marathon can be grueling and it can be overwhelming for most runners starting out. I've been there before the exhilaration on finishing your first half marathon, the challenge of training to get a PR on your next one, the satisfaction that you get from getting faster over the years. But I have also been at the point of disappointment with back-to-back -back years of not getting faster or not hitting my running goal. For me, this plateau in my running fitness really, at least for half marathon distances, um, occurred five years into my running journey after hitting my half marathon PR of a 133.56 that occurred in Hartford in 2016 or in 2015. And then the following year, I ran my second fastest half marathon time of a 135.36 right back in Hartford in 2016. After that, I hit a wall and a streak of 15 straight half marathons over the course of five years, a pandemic in the middle of that, uh, with times all above 146. So over 10 plus minutes slower than my fastest half marathons. I even had a two hour plus race in there on a hot, humid, super hilly course, um, by the way. And I had a 157 when I ran on sunburnt feet after a trip to Punta Cana. Um, so if you are a beginner half marathoner, we love beginners, by the way, within our healthy runner community, or your dedicated runner who's feeling frustrated because you're not getting any faster during your half marathon races, or you're constantly in the injury cycle, you will want to be proactive in continuing to do what you love and running half marathons 
And this is the training for you. I am going to share with you my lessons learned to run faster, easier, following my recent half marathon training block for my 28th half marathon. I will tell you specifically how I have now been able to string together two straight half marathon training cycles. And this is my latest medal, by the way. Um, and I'm in celebratory mode right now because I've strung together two half marathon training cycles, nearly getting the same exact time. Like, I don't know if I could even plan that if I tried. Um, eight seconds apart. So I had a 144 flat in October of uh, last year at Hartford for the Hartford half. And last weekend, I ran a 144.08. Um, and both of these half marathons have really shaved two minutes plus from any of the 15 previous races um, that I had prior to that. And, you know, most importantly, and this is really what I really took away from these races over these past six years, is that I am the healthiest that I've ever been. And I've run more miles than I ever have in a year. So my yearly mileage, and I'm feeling strong during these races at the end, and I'm able to get a kick at the end of those races to actually pass people right? And move up in spots in my age group during the final two miles. And I'm going to share with you 10 lessons learned in this training um, that I've learned over really this last year. And if you stick around long enough, I'm going to release uh, for you the first time publicly what I will be training for this upcoming fall. Um, I'm super excited about this. And the answer may surprise you a little bit. Um, so for those of you who are new to our community, I'm Dr. Dwayne Scotty. I'm an avid half marathoner, as I mentioned, 28 of them, um, a running physical therapist and a coach, host of the Healthy Runner podcast and founding owner and creator of Spark Healthy Runner, where we really help runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with a perfect online running coach, even if you've been told to stop running with an injury. So before we get into what I have changed in my training this past year and the lessons that I've learned to grow as a runner, go ahead and make sure that you either subscribe to this podcast or YouTube channel wherever you are listening, or better yet, if you find this content helpful, I always love for you to share this link, copy the link, share it with a running friend of yours who you can help so we can help reach more runners and get them back to crushing half marathons without getting injured and feeling strong and confident. So to provide you all some context for today's training um, and these half marathon training tips, I really want to preface this with uh, my recommendations. They are just that. They are my recommendations. However, I will tell you that, um, you know, these have been very thought out. Um, I have reflected. I've taken a full week plus, and I've been jotting notes each day as thoughts have you know, popped in my head on things that I've really been working on, things that I've really changed. And some of the things that I'm recommending might not work for you. Um, you know your body best, but I want to share these tips with you because these are, a couple of them are definitely foundational. Um, principles that I think will apply to all of you. 
but then a couple of them may help you if you're at a certain sticking point in your training, um, whether it is your actual training or it is your actual health. And, you know, this information is not just kind of what I've been doing for myself, right? This is also the stuff our clients have been doing. So whether or not it is the clients that I'm working with one-on-one, or it is our clients that are working with anyone on our Healthy Runner coaching team, um, some of the strategies I'm going to talk about, they've been implementing in their training and they've been getting results. And then lastly, this is really integrated um, with my previous knowledge and experience as a physical therapist and coach for runners for the past 19 years, as well as what I've learned through the literature, conducting research in this field, as well as synthesizing all I've learned in the 127 other episodes on the Healthy Runner podcast. So I've learned from expert guests that I've brought on the show, and I implement um, certain strategies that they recommend into my own training. And that is what today is about, is sharing with you, hey, what has Dwayne been working on behind the scenes um, that I didn't know about? And how has that helped my personal training, right, as a runner? So I'm kind of excited about this episode because I feel like it's a culmination of really, honestly, like the last 11 years of my running journey. And for those of you who are new, some of this, you know, stuff you may have not known about me, and I haven't talked a lot about this recently. Um, So I think it will be helpful. And, and my, my one goal of today is really for you to be able to, at minimum, take away like two golden nuggets. That's going to help your training or that you are going to approach your training in a different way. And that you're going to actually not only think about it, but implement because those that implement actually get results. So you can't just like hear this stuff. You have to actually implement it. Um, And, you know, that's why I'm doing this guys is because I believe in lifelong learning. I'm a lifelong learner myself, hence the uh, four uh, advanced collegiate degrees that I've got on to get, and then more certifications, becoming a coach myself. Um, and I think you too, as a runner should enjoy lifelong running. And in order to do that, we have to be a lifelong learner, right? And that's why I'm sharing these with you, um, today. So hopefully these are going to be super helpful for you. Um, for those that have either half marathons coming up or, um, you can definitely certainly implement many of these strategies for those of you who are training for the marathon. So in terms of my actual race, I will give you a quick, quick brief race recap without boring you. Um, So this race occurred the first weekend in June, and this is the year of 2022. This was the Yukon Health Half Marathon here in Connecticut. It was actually in Simsbury, Connecticut. Very beautiful course for those that want to run this race and not hilly whatsoever. There are some courses in Connecticut that are very hilly. This was not one of them. I would definitely say this was not a hilly course. This was actually a pretty um, forgiving course. Hartford in the fall was a little less elevation, but honestly, I am not going to complain. And given that this occurred in the first weekend in June, um, this was actually pretty decent weather for what we can get in June, because a lot of people in this area ran half marathons and marathons like two weeks before, three weeks before, and they were crushed by humidity. And it was like the first really hot, humid weekend that we had. So this was not a very humid weekend. There was a little humidity in the air. Definitely not bad for a race. And it was in the 70s. So 
that is technically a little higher from a performance standpoint. Whenever we are above 50 something degrees, every 10 degrees are performance wise, we shouldn't expect to get the same results. So that's why I am even more satisfied with my results versus in October, because it was 20 degrees warmer. Um, but again, I'm not complaining about the weather since the race was in June. And this was actually by far the longest time period that I've ever gone without running a half marathon um, since I became an adult onset runner 11 years ago. It has been eight months since I ran a race. So I was like itching um, to do a race because as a dad of two girls, I have one middle schooler, one high schooler, um, they've been super busy. This winter, this spring, um, my older daughter uh, tried indoor track for the first time, and then the both of them do travel volleyball. So that took us to some amazing sites um, during the season, went to Philly for the first time, did some nice runs in Philly. Um, that was very fun. We went to Boston twice. I went and ran uh, the end of the Boston Marathon course area. So I checked that out. Um, had some nice runs in Boston. Um, we went up to Mass. We went to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut a couple of times. So we had a very busy travel volleyball season between the two of them. And then my younger one tried lacrosse for the first time um, through school. So it's been actually not through school. It's kind of through the town. Um, so it's been very busy. Like their weekends are full of games and tournaments and coming from someone who did not have a dad around when I was a kid, um, you know, I'm there for my girls. So they come first and foremost before any specific race goal that I have, I'm not going to miss, you know, one of their kind of tournaments um, and not be there cheering for them on the sidelines. So my personal race goals had to take a little backseat. Uh, typically I run a race in April or definitely by May. Um, so this year I had to hold off a little bit until June. Um, so this was definitely the longest time. And I was a little like worried. What would that mean? Um, because I had a longer base training phase than I typically do in, um, the weekend or during the winter time. And, you know, what I would say is over these asked last eight months, consistency is been key. And that is really what I've been working on and getting stronger and really building up my base miles per week. And most importantly, staying healthy. So the race itself was the second race in a row that I was able to execute a smart race strategy um, since obtaining coaching myself from our coach Lou on our team and really getting some negative splits um, from the first half to the second half of the race. So for this race, I felt strong and I was able to move up actually, because you can like see the places where you kind of crossed. This race was kind of weird where it was like almost two loops, but not really. It was kind of, you cross the start line at mile like eight and a half. So they wind up like clocking your time then. So in those last five miles, I was able to move up like 14 spots and like three spots in my age division. So I was like passing people, right? Like picking people off as I kind of finished that race. So for me to kind of stay mentally and physically healthy um, was a big thing because honestly, that is why I love to run. And this race was a true test of that. And I can honestly say that I felt proud because I left it all out on the course. Did the last mile or two feel great? Heck no. Like I was going to some dark, dark places there mentally uh, to push through. But 
Um, you know, the fact that I was literally running this race the same exact time that I did in October, 20 degrees cooler, like I was super happy about that um, because, you know, getting these back-to-back -back half marathons um, with it being kind of my fastest time over these last five years, 16 attempts, um, I'm pretty proud of that. And, you know, not bragging by any means, but I'm hoping that the, the lessons learned and these 10 tips, I've kind of packaged them together into 10 tips are going to help you in your running. So that's why I share so we can all learn, right? Again, lifelong learning. In terms of like the race strategy, I really followed our race day blueprint. Um, so for those that have not seen our race day blueprint, um, we have 10 tips to crush your race. And I followed the blueprint to a T. Um, Coach Whitney and I were actually joking because she was actually here in Connecticut at the race. And I was just thinking of like our conversation that we had during that live training for the uh, race day blueprint and, you know, going through those strategies that we talked about. And I was really happy that my fastest mile was my last mile, as opposed to the last mile being your slowest mile, which is when you like kind of crash in a race, right? So I was still able to give that like kick at the end. It definitely took a lot of mental fortitude to get that kick. Trust me. It wasn't like an easy kick by any means. It's not like I was like, oh, this is easy. Let me just like finish faster. Um, I was, like I said, going to some dark places there um, for me. And it did not look pretty. It did not sound pretty for like the groans that were coming out and the heavy breathing that was uh, coming down the stretch. Um, it wasn't pretty, but um, I was able to give that kick. So I was proud of that. So for those that have not seen our race day blueprint, I highly recommend you literally print this puppy out. We have like worksheets for you to fill out in terms of like, what to do at your race, what to pack, what don't you want to forget, how to actually time out, like what time do you need to wake up? Um, what time do you need to take your gel or your pre-race fuel, whether it's a banana or a gel? Um, what time do you need to get to the start line? What time do you need to warm up, right? So we kind of structure all that out for you. So grab that free resource. Trust me, it will help you. It's been helping many of our clients, really all of our clients in our coaching program. And I know it will help you too. So please utilize that resource. Um, so let's get into these 10 tips, these 10 lessons learned in 2022 after half marathon number 28 for Dwayne here. And I've really bucketed these into kind of um, different sections where like 10 tips it's kind of nice. It worked out to 10. It was kind of 11. Then I kind of combined two because you can't have 11 tips. Like who does 11 tips, right? Like we got to have 10 tips, right? 10 lessons learned as I reflected over the course of this week following my race. And I highly recommend that to all of my clients. I highly recommend that to all of you to do like a SWOT analysis here, right? So you think about the strengths, your weaknesses, what, what things can you improve upon? Like what things did you do well um, in terms of your race preparation, um, in terms of your training cycle, right? Like that's the only way we're gonna improve unless we do like an analysis of things that went well and then things that we are didn't go well and things we need to change and improve in the future. So let's get to the first lesson learned. Um, and that is what you guys know I'm all passionate about is that we need to train in order to run, specifically strength train. And for me, 
for this tip, this lesson learned that I really changed is your strength training needs to change and evolve over time. So I'm gonna say that again. Strength training needs to change and evolve over time. It should not be stagnant. You should not be doing the same strength program for over a year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, right? It needs to change over time. A couple of things that I've tweaked in my personal training is I went really back to the um, principles of simplicity. And I really structured my uh, strength routine after what I learned at the running specific course that I attended down in San Antonio that I shared on some previous trainings and previous episodes. And this all came from um, my fellow PT, um, friend of the show, Scott Greenberg, who came on in episode 120. And we talked about strength training to run safe and run fast. We had a great conversation. Like I mentioned on that episode, I was implementing things behind the scenes. Now I'm sharing with you what I've been implementing behind the scenes because I wanted to put it into practice for like an extended period. I don't want to like just recommend it to you if it wasn't like true, tried and tested. So now that it's true, tried and tested, I can share with you um, some exciting things that have really been happening in the gym for me with my strength training. So simplicity, I really went down to having a more quad dominant day. And then a glute dominant day. And in these days, so let's go glute dominant day first, because I usually start with that on Mondays. That's what I did this morning, actually, in the gym. Um, this is the deadlift day. And what I really liked about the episode with Scott and we had talked about is strengthening for different purposes, meaning your compound movements, the exercises that you actually want to add power and strength need to be lower reps, higher load. So that means, yes, lifting with weights. Um, and again, if you're a beginner, never done strength training before, that's not where you're going to start, right? We have a strength program for runners, which would be a nice starting point before that. Um, but for those that have been strength training a while, you're looking for that little extra like tweak in your program. You're kind of plateauing off. You're getting stagnant. You're not getting stronger. Um, this is what I implemented. And I found some like serious changes in really what I've been able to do over the last 19 years, to tell you the truth. Um, so on this deadlift day, first off, I've never been a deadlifter ever since college. I've tried it a couple of times. I got some like long legs, um, long femur bones. I've had a history of back pain um, on and off over time, disc related type of pain happens with sitting, feel better with extensions, always feel better with my mobility, never limits my running. Um, so I've kind of had a quote unquote sensitive back, even though I do my mobility drills, I do my stabilization strengthening, I'm middle-aged, middle-aged back pain happens. It will happen to pretty much all of you who are listening to this. If you haven't had an episode of back pain where you tweak your back, can't move for a couple of days, gets better over time. But when you sit too long, sitting in a car ride, if you're in your thirties, forties, or fifties, you can certainly relate to this. Um, if that's ever happened to you, just let me know in the comments, uh, wherever you're watching this, because I know it has, um, that is the most common type of back pain that affects, uh, millions of Americans every single day, but us staying active as runners, we have a less incidence of that versus someone who is sedentary. So I've never really kind of been able to deadlift, honestly, because every time I try to, I always hurt my back because honestly, my mobility wasn't there in my hips and my stability wasn't there in my core. However, what have I been working on? Like literally the last 10 years, ever since my hip surgery, hip mobility, 
and hip strength and core strength and stability. So I kind of really wanted to give these another crack. And my recommendations for those who have never done deadlifts before is I take it from the rack. I don't lift it from the floor and I start it from the rack and I go down to where I feel comfortable that I'm going to have good form. So quality is always going to proceed over how much weight that you're moving. It doesn't matter about the weight. And that was never my concern when I started this. I never looked at it like literally, you should see me like for the first two times, you guys would have laughed at me like you saw me in the gym. Like I literally just did the bar, like had no plates on it. You know, everyone like I'm in like the squat rack in my gym, there's like four of them. You know, people are like looking at me like, wow, this dude's doing the bar. Okay. You know, but honestly, I had to leave my ego at the door because I wasn't doing it to be like a power lifter, right? I'm doing this to actually strengthen my body, strengthen my glutes, get some hamstring work in there to make me stronger as a runner. And I was really dedicated to, to doing this the right way and quality over quantity or quality over load and weight and how much I could lift. So as I went on, my form got better. I started going deeper into the deadlift and kind of, you know, the thing I would uh, really recommend is find yourself a good instructional video on how to do this correctly. Um, you know, keep the weight close to you. Like you're sliding it down your shins as you bend your knees and make sure you're hinging from those hips and make sure you're keeping the core tight. Make sure you're not looking down, um, you know, and like tweaking your neck. You're kind of looking like kind of straight forward to like in front of you kind of down. Um, so your spine is in good alignment. And then you're really squeezing your glutes at the top. Um, that's the key. It's really getting your glutes. And then doing this for lower rep range. So really here, the sweet spot for me is no more than five. I usually do about four reps. And I progressively have been able to increase my load. And this may not sound heavy to many of you listening to this, and you might chuckle. But this morning for the first time, I was kind of proud of myself. Um, I was able to actually do, let's see, 60, 60 on each side, and then a 45 bar. So 105, so 165. So I was able to actually deadlift 165 at that weight, three sets for lower reps. So like four reps, um, not a lot of weight for a deadlift by any means, but with perfect form and feeling in my glutes, I feel like that's an accomplishment. And I know it's only going to improve over time, right? Like I'm in this for the long run. It's only going to improve over time. I'm looking to keep myself healthy and knock on wood. I have not had a low back pain episode in over a year now. Um, so that's been something that I've been working on. And then for that exercise in particular, because your reps are lower, I've been doing like five sets, five or six sets. And then what you can do is like, it's not like every exercise in your workout needs to be heavy and lower reps and more sets. That is like the foundational exercise, the compound movement. And then everything after that, I do a single leg glute specific exercise. So whether it's a reverse lunge into a balance position or it's an explosive lunge, those are two kind of go-to staples for me for glute activation. And then I do my hamstring Nordic curls. You guys, if you've listened to any other previous episode, you know that I had a history of PHT, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. I've been doing Nordic curls since I had it, uh, which was my first running related injury 10 years ago. Big believer in doing it at least once a week to help build up that eccentric strength of the hamstrings to help prevent any hamstring tendinopathy in the future. Because I know many runners who have had this reoccurring 
second time around, third time around, fourth time around, right? Knock on wood. Again, it's been 10 years, haven't had the issue at all. Um, so I'm a big believer in the Nordic hamstring curl or an eccentric heel slide that you're really isolating your hamstrings. So this day is all about posterior chain day. Um, I don't want to go too much deeper, honestly, because I'm going to literally talk about this for an hour because I'm so passionate about strength training. So what I would recommend to you, for you guys is to check out episode 120 um, with Scott. We had a great conversation and really went deep dive into why we structure the training this way. And um, yeah, that's pretty much glute day. There's a quad day, squats. I've been squatting, same thing, no back pain, increased my weights, um, plyometric training. I really doubled down on that and reinvested all winter long. It was plyo winter for me. I really was getting my body used to landing, getting stronger for landing. My tendons were building up strength because I was utilizing jump training. The other thing that I changed in my strength training, less arms. Unfortunately, um, this was, I really had to leave the ego at the door. Um, for those of you males um, who have always been in the gym since the college, like, you know, working your buys, working your tries. Um, this was hard for me to do. Honestly, it was very hard for me to do, especially I, I come from a background of as a teenager, as a 20 year old, something I have like longer dangly arms. I never had big arms. So I always would work them out a little more to try to add some size in the arms. But I needed to really come to the realization that Dwayne, you're not training to be a bodybuilder. Like that is never happening. You're training to get better in your running, working your biceps, working your triceps, though may look good, um, does not help me in my running whatsoever. So I really refocused, dedicated more time to not training my arms and spending it doing the other things that are going to actually move the needle in my running. Um, and then I also need to mention, what about stretching? I even did less stretching um, than I've ever done these past eight months. Um, some of you might be like, I thought stretching is good. Like runners should be stretching. I haven't stopped doing dynamic stretching or warm up and mobility drills prior to all my runs, prior to my workouts in the gym. So those are super important. Um, and even, you know, doing my dynamic warm up and running those first one to two miles, even slower, um, as I get into my runs have been super important to really warm up the body properly. So if you are not sure how to do a dynamic warm up, we do have a five minute warm up for running on our spark healthy runner, YouTube channel, literally just Google that five minute warm up for running spark healthy runner. It will definitely come up. Um, that's an instructional video that I will talk you through. Literally, you can do it with me, the exercises. So that's super important, but the stretching at the end, honestly, it's been busy guys. Like I've been busy, just like all of you, I'm juggling jobs. I'm juggling family. I'm juggling my own training. Um, honestly, the stretching at the end, the one thing I do prioritize though, because I've had a history of some Achilles pain as well as plantar fasciitis is stretching my calf muscle. And that is by far the most common impairment or problem that I see in all the runners that I work with. So stretching the calf muscle for a nice little static stretch after your run is probably going to give you the most bang for your buck um, for most of you out there, unless you have super tight hips and hip flexor stretching can be beneficial or even quad or rectus stretching. I find stretching your hamstrings, honestly, 
probably isn't going to move the needle much for any of you because with our running mechanics, we never actually elongate our hamstrings anywhere close to its end length. Stretching, it may feel good. It's kind of good at the end. It kind of resets your mind. You can do it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, make sure you do it at the end, not before you run, but it's probably not going to make a huge difference, honestly, and move the needle for really what you're looking for in terms of your, your strengthening or your training in order to run. So I just added a little stre stretching blurb in the strengthening section, because honestly, guys, the strengthening is more important. So if you're listening to this right now, you're a runner, you're doing more flexibility stretching than you are strengthening. There's a problem with that. There's certainly a problem with that. And I feel totally confident, comfortable telling you that, um, that we really need to relook at that and prioritize your goals in a little different way. If you're looking to actually run faster, if you're looking to actually stay healthy, and if you're looking to actually feel stronger when you run, because stretching will not do any of that. All right. Off, off that soapbox there. All right, guys, that was only uh, lessons learned. Number one, um, I'm going to try to shorten this up a little bit and go through this a little faster because I don't want this to be a two hour episode, but guys, I'm just so passionate about sharing all this with you because it's been like running around in my mind constantly, honestly, over months now. And then I was really waiting for this race to happen and to see where my fitness was and to see like what has worked and what hasn't worked. Um, so tip number two, or kind of the lesson learned number two is your run plan needs to adapt as you age and as your running goals change. So as I mentioned to you previously, my PRs in my half marathon were, let's see, four years into my running journey. So that was like seven years ago. So that was when I was 35 years old. I am now 42 years old. I'm not 35 years old. Unfortunately, many times I feel that when I look in the mirror, I see a lot more gray hair. I didn't really have any gray hair actually uh, five years ago. So you will see a lot more grays here, right? Guys, I'm aging and many of you are as well. Sorry to break it to you, um, but that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? So we can be able to almost hopefully slow down that aging process because we know the benefits of exercise. We know the benefits of running are super powerful, right? It's the best thing that we can do for our bodies. Um, so some of the things that I adapted in my running that I've really made some significant changes during this past training cycle and really since October. After October, guys, after my half marathon, I did a fast 5K or at least tried to do a fast 5K. It went pretty well. It was pretty fast 5K. And then I did a fun 5K for turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning with my daughter um, and got her a PR and a third place finish uh, for her age group, um, which was cool to like pace her. And I was in a turkey costume. So that was fun. And then after that, my competitive like running pretty much, I went right into base training phase. And that was base building. And I really dedicated to a concept I've been learning a lot about, which is really increasing weekly running volume. So I was really, that was my goal for the off season was to increase my running volume to 30 miles per week, the whole off season, right? Did I have a cutback week here and there? Absolutely. Cause that's what we do in base training. Um, and again, the, the reason for this is guys, this is the most important thing we can do as endurance athletes. If you're running the 5k and higher, you're an endurance athlete. The most important thing we can do 
is allow those physiologic adaptations to occur in your body by actually building capillaries, exchanging oxygen more efficiently, training your legs, training your lungs, right? Those are all huge gains that we can build in our running fitness to exchange oxygen more efficiently. And the key to this is we need to be gradual and consistent in this process. We cannot go from like 20 miles to, okay, I'm going to do 30 plus because Dwayne said he did 30 plus last winter, right? That's not how it happened for me. So I ended my kind of training cycle for my half marathon. I definitely had a recovery period for a couple of weeks, but then I got right back up to maybe not my peak week, but I got right up to right where I was training for that half marathon in the thirties. And I was listening to my body all along the way. The other thing I implemented typically every winter, I pretty much just do easy runs only. I don't do anything faster than easy pace. This year, I shook it up a little bit and learned a little bit more about base training. And we did that full episode on base training in episode 105, which was the first episode to kick off 2020. Because like I said, I was doing research on it myself, guys. So I was doing research. I wanted to share that content with you. And then I not only did the research, what did I do? I implemented it. And that's what I did. I implemented that base training into my running, which is probably the most critical time period. It's not the actual half marathon training, guys. So for those of you that are looking at half marathons, you found this video because you're like going into half marathon training and you, you are like, hey, like I want to start half marathon training. Reframe your mindset and think about, oh, a couple months before I'm actually half marathon training, I need to be dedicated to building the foundation because if I have a weak foundation, like the house on top, the half marathon training on top is not going to be what you want to get out of it. So this is where I actually added in some tempo runs and did some threshold pace runs, making sure that I wasn't going into anaerobic training. So I wasn't running my interval pace during those runs, but it allowed me to actually get those runs more efficiently over a course of a period of time without the added stress that I typically would do tempo runs with interval runs with long runs building up to a half marathon. So this allowed me during base training phase to have those tempo runs, give it, you know, honestly, it added a little flair, right? It added some variety into my weekly training. I would be like super excited. I would usually do them Thursday morning for some reason. And I would be excited to actually do a tempo run um, in the winter. And you can do tempo runs in the winter. It's not as painful as doing an interval run. Coach Lou shared uh, his Boston training and he was doing some hard track interval runs in like literally single digits. And that is painful on the lungs. That is hard. Like I have not experienced that yet. I don't know if I ever will, but tempo runs running at your threshold pace could be doable in the winter months, even if it's cold. I was actually just, I just wound up getting like a, a story thing in Instagram um, and it was like a one degree day, right? Like I was consistent running throughout the winter despite the temperature. I'm not saying you need to run in minus whatever degrees, but we talked about treadmill training and its place, but just being consistent guys is the key during your off season. Um, the other thing is my long runs during my off season were longer than they had been in previous years. So I really helped me build that base training, right? My weekly mileage, my weekly volume stayed higher. And 
the other thing that I really added into my actual run plan for half marathon training time was actually doing some long runs with some sparks in the middle there. So this is something that my coach Lou uh, started adding in last half marathon training cycle. And, you know, this is something I would definitely not recommend for any of you beginners out there. If this is your first, second, third, I would even say fifth half marathon, unless you're really an accomplished fast half marathoner and you've been accomplished and fast in the 10K, the 5K distances. Now you're like building up to the half marathon. But for those of you kind of pretty typical recreational runners, you take up running and you're building up to the half marathon distance. This is something that's going to come with experience. Um, and it is adding in faster pace running in that long run, which is just getting your legs used to running at a faster pace for a longer run and being able to do it when you're fatigued at the end of a run. So adding in some marathon pace miles, adding in some tempo pace miles or threshold pace uh, toward the end of your run, or doing some kind of progression runs where you're, you know, every mile knocking off some time, as long as you're feeling good. So that's something that I really didn't do that during base training, because again, I was base building. I did that during my half marathon training, you know, 12 weeks out from my race. So that's where I started adding in some of those. Did I do them every single week? No, but those were helpful to kind of train my body, train my mind to kind of do some hard things, right? And to feel what it feels like the stress you're going to feel on race day. Um, the other thing that I will add in here in terms of training is a concept that we talk about frequently on the podcast is running your easy runs easy. And I got a couple of comments from people on Strava when they checked out my race and they were like, whoa, like they seem like kind of surprised, like, cause they probably don't listen to the podcast. They probably aren't following me on Instagram um, at Spark Healthy Runner. And they really were surprised that I was able to do like a 757 pace for 13.1 miles because they see all of my easy runs on Strava and I'm like a 10 minute mile person. And they're like, wow, okay. So, or some people even commented that, hey, I know you've talked about this before, but I can actually see that you actually practice what you preach. And I'm like, yes, indeed. Um, I'm not just telling you something that I don't believe in myself, right? Like I would never do that here on, on the show. So, you know, that's something I just reiterate because it's the most common problem, most common mistake novice runners make, even experienced runners make. Like uh, we have people in our program that have been running 10 years, 20 years. They are still running their easy runs too fast. And I don't know if it is like some people just have a fascination with numbers and they're like, I can never see like a 10 plus for my runs. I need to run fast. And, or you think about your race goal and say, I'm going to do an eight minute mile. I'm going to do a nine minute mile for my half marathon. And you're like, like you get fixated on those numbers and you're like, oh, in training, obviously I need to run around nine minutes or eight minutes. No, 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 no. <laughs> We've done some deep dive episodes on that, on how to train. And I talk about that in depth in that base training episode in 105. So I would like go back, listen to that and the rationale, why we don't do that, how we have this dichotomy in our training. We do fast days, fast, slow run, slow. So easy and fast. Most of your miles during your week should be in that easy zone. So for me, that's anywhere between a 9.30 and a 10.20 pace. That's what I'm doing. It's an effort level of a four or five. 
I'm able to actually hold a conversation if I needed to. So make sure you're running those easy runs easy. Time to take a real quick break. And before I say any more, I truly hope the message so far today has benefited you either from a running or health standpoint. Staying in line with that theme, I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you a brand new exciting partnership with Naboso, which is a company that is dedicated to redefining what's underneath your feet so you can feel more to move better as a runner. From a movement prep before your runs to foot recovery after those hard speed workouts or long runs, Naboso's Textured Products lets your senses guide you and connects you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from your runs. Want to learn more on how you as a runner can activate, strengthen, and recover from running? Listen to episode 116 on this podcast to learn from Naboso founder, podiatrist, and human movement specialist, Dr. Emily Splickle herself. We had a value-packed episode learning how she took her conventional podiatric medical degree and combined it with years of experience and expertise in human movement and sensory science to found Naboso. Dr. Emily shared with us the importance of foot stability for runners. What is sensory stimulation? The benefits of toe spacers and barefoot training for running. There's so much value in this episode, so be sure to go back and queue up episode 116 on the Healthy Runner podcast to listen to during your next long run to learn more about Naboso. I personally have always battled a mild case of plantar fasciitis and have been using the NeuroBall to get out those hard-to-reach trigger points in my deep foot muscles that foot rollers just frankly don't reach and get to. I have also been a big fan of the toe spacers for the past 10 years, but have yet to find a pair that is actually flexible as comfortable and that I can tolerate for hours to help realign my toes and stretch the small muscles in my foot. This has been clutch, honestly, for my claw toes that I have and helping my plantar fasciitis. I just love doing 10 minutes of elevation with my Naboso splay on after a long run. Naboso's recovery socks are like your traditional running compression socks, but they are the first ever that stimulate your nervous system and enhance movement with their patented textured surface on the inside of the sock. Matter of fact, as I'm reading this right now, I have on my Naboso splay toe spacers and I couldn't imagine my feet tolerating the hard half marathon training I am doing right now without some of these great products at Naboso. Learn more about how Naboso's Texture products connect you to your exercises and your running by strengthening your feet and helping you recover from your runs. Since you're a part of our Healthy Runner community, you will get 20% off all of your orders. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order using the special link we have in our show notes. Go ahead and give Naboso a try and your feet will thank you for it. I know mine already have. Now let's get back into this episode. All right, so now tip number three, three, or lessons learned is going to be, this is a quick one, guys, be flexible with your schedule. I have never, ever um, been that person that's been flexible. I'm type A. It's kind of like every Saturday, that's my long run day. This is what I do. I'm like structured, regimented, right? I've needed to be flexible and it's been paying off in dividends, honestly. I've been getting long runs in on Fridays. I've been getting them in on Thursdays. I even got one in on a Wednesday one week. 
Um, especially as I mentioned with my long weekends, for my girls volleyball tournaments, there's a lot of like three day tournaments. We left on Friday or, you know, they were Monday tournaments on like holidays. So I've needed to be super flexible. Um, what did that require? That required more planning. That required more shuffling in my schedule. That required me getting up a little earlier and going to bed a little earlier the night before. And honestly, it's worked. It's worked really well. And I kind of like the Friday long run. Um, I'm going to try to get that in. And with my schedule, it is fairly flexible, though I do teach. So it all depends on the semester and which days that I am actually in lab early. And um, if I don't need to be teaching on a Friday, then I can go into the office a little bit later and dedicate that time for the long run. And I'm not taking away the family time on the weekend. So if you have a job that allows a little flexibility, I would encourage you. And if it is getting tough for you to get those long runs in, if you're like me and you got busy kids with activities and family stuff going on on the weekends, it's hard, right? To like spend a good two, three hours out there on a long run away from, you know, family. So, um, you know, think about being flexible because the long run is going to be the most important run for those training for the half marathon and certainly those training for the marathon distance. So you got to be flexible um, with your training. Um, there were the other thing I was flexible with is my strength training. Again, I was always regimented like three times a week for strength training. I got many weeks that were two days of strength training when I did those long runs, not during the weekend. So for those weeks, it wasn't going to happen strength on the weekends because we were traveling, all that stuff. I would do two days strength. And honestly, I can honestly say it really didn't make much difference. For certain people, depending upon where you are in your training cycles, are you base training? Are you half marathon training? Are you peaking in your, your training and your mileage? Strength training comes down and that's how we stay healthy. We have to think about how much stresses we're adding to the body. So tip three was be flexible with your schedule. Tip four, listen to your body. If you feel an ache or pain, don't ignore it. For me, I was very lucky. Um, I didn't feel any aches and pains at all until I was really uh, peaking. So I was in my two peak weeks. For me, that was 40 plus miles. I did a 40 and a half mile week, and then I did a 42 mile week. And that's when I start to felt, feel some more old plantar fasciitis symptoms. First thing in the morning, heels were hurting, feet were like tight and stiff, um, took a while to loosen up. So what did I do? I doubled down on the specific foot strategies that helped that condition. I doubled down on my massaging my fascia, rolling my fascia, um, stretching the fascia, doing my intrinsic foot stability exercises, taking my massage gun, my percussion gun, and like really massaging out that connective tissue underneath my foot um, as I was peaking in the training. If you're not sure and you are battling plantar fasciitis, we have an ebook for that. If you want to learn exactly what to do to get over plantar fasciitis and run, um, just go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. You'll see the plantar fasciitis ebook there. Um, so that's really tip four is listen to your body. Don't be like I'm in training mode and I'm ignoring everything else. I need to complete this many miles. I need to get in every single day on the calendar. You have to listen to your body first. And this is what we do in our coaching program with our clients is when they start feeling those things, we're tweaking things, we're modifying. So make sure you're listening to your body. Because honestly, when you listen and you adjust, and I'm not saying like shut stuff down, don't 
stop running for a week. You know, I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. Um, it is a matter of making tweaks and modifications that are aligned with what you're feeling in your body. So make sure you're listening to it and it really prevents a ache, pain, or a niggle from progressing to a full-blown injury. That could be like the difference maker. And that's honestly what I love about our coaching program so much is how we're able to do that for our clients is make those decisions for them, take away the guesswork because they don't really know, right? They don't have the experience of working with runners that I've helped with these conditions before. So I really just kind of like implement those strategies for them and they start feeling better. We don't actually have to change a whole lot with their training. We modify it a little bit for that week, but then we get right back on the horse and then they progress fine. All right. So tip number five is dedicate time to recovery. I definitely have been as I age, as I mentioned, I'm in my forties, 42 years old. Like we need to recover. We need to think about this guys as we age, like we have to do the things for recovery. So there's a couple of recovery tools that, um, that I really doubled down on, especially when I was heading to that peak training, those peak weeks, I was hitting 40 miles and I was doing hard interval runs and I was doing like hard long runs with that, those sparks in the middle, um, Epsom salt bath, big fan for the feet. Um, after those long runs, especially if your feet are feeling tight, they're feeling achy, they're feeling tired. Um, big fan of the Epsom salt bath. The other thing that I'm a real huge fan of is the Noboso product line. Um, so episode 116 on the Healthy Runner podcast, I had Dr. Emily Splickle, functional podiatrist, come on the show, shared how do we activate, strengthen, and recover for running. And I really have loved their products. Um, so whether it is the Noboso ball to roll out those trigger points deep in my foot, or it's the splay, which are toe spacers, the best toe spacers I've ever had. I've tried like three or four in the past. All are hard, not comfortable. These are flexible. You can wear them for hours. Um, they really help stretch those deep intrinsic foot muscles as well as your fascia. So big, big fan of the Naboso uh, splay uh, toe spacers and the recovery socks. Those have been like key. I love the sensory stimulation that I get from them. So check out that episode. Um, check out, there's a healthy runner discount that you can get, um, with Naboso. I'm a big fan. I'm so glad that I honestly got exposed to Naboso and meeting Dr. Emily. Um, it's been super helpful and I think has been one of those, like definitely one of those new tweaks that I added in that have definitely helped and paid off because honestly, my feet have never felt as good during hard training cycles. Like I just had. So big fan of that, even after the race, like my recovery after that hard effort race and like putting it all out there um, has never been as good as well. So the other thing is thinking from like recovery from the nutrition side, essential amino acids. Um, you know, you guys, if you've listened to any podcast episodes, you know that um, the amino company is a sponsor and they're sponsoring this episode um, as we speak. And I really am a huge believer, again, in their product line. Again, like I'm not someone who's like just pushing supplements on you guys by any means. Like I did my research. I just encourage you to do your research. Um, Dr. Robert Wolf, he is literally the premier researcher who's dedicated his whole career to actually studying amino acid. And he's published, I think, 100 plus articles that he's actually published. So he's like dedicated literally like 60, 70 years to researching amino acids. So the guy knows his stuff. I brought him on the podcast. We had a great interview. Um, 
if you want to learn more about amino acids and actually look at the science behind it, and the amino company has the, the highest quality ingredients, and they're actually like real stuff that's from this country and not some other stuff from overseas. I've heard some scary like bird feathers, like weird collagen stuff um, that you don't want to honestly be ingesting. Um, check out aminoco.com forward slash healthy runner. Check out the research for yourself. But honestly, big fan of taking my three servings of essential amino acids throughout my day. I think it's helped my muscles recover, especially like I just told you, like I've been lifting heavier. I've been doing more strength training and I've been running hard and, you know, knock on wood, haven't had tendon pain, haven't had any muscle strains and my muscles have been recovering from my workouts. Like they never feel flat. Um, so honestly, I think that has been a huge game changer. Again, I'm a subject of one. I'm an N of one. Take it for what it's worth. It's anecdotal evidence. However, there is actually real published research and not just from the amino company. Like you see the supplement companies and they just like do one or two articles that they funded. Like this is the actual science on essential amino acids. So check it out for yourself. Um, if you haven't implemented it, I would highly recommend it again, because they are a supporter of our podcast. Um, you know, you can get a nice 30% discount using code healthy runner and using the link in the show notes. So that's, I think a, a key thing that's helped me with my recovery. And if you want to learn about more recovery after your race, let's say you're getting ready for a half marathon and you're training for a half marathon right now, it's really important to recover after your race as well. Um, so what to do after your half marathon, we've done a full blog post on that. We've done a full episode. So check out episode 38. I will put that link also in the show notes. I think that would be super helpful for you. Um, so tip number six here is to be careful with peak weeks in training. So this really goes back to our foundational principle in our spark blueprint or five tips to run strong and healthy. Tip number five was train smart with proper progression. So as I mentioned in my peak weeks, that is definitely when my body did not feel the best. And that is definitely when I find most runners break down and they get injured and it really hinders their taper before their run. So you can certainly overdo it and you need appropriate recovery um, after these peak weeks during your taper time. So you need to think about that. If you don't know what tapering is, taper time, why is tapering before a race important? We've done a whole training on that as well. Episode 91 um, with Coach Latoya on our team. So check that episode out. Um, peak weeks should be a peak week for a reason. It should not be a regular. So if you're doing something for the first time, you're running more miles per week. You are running a long run, the longest run you've ever run in your life. You should not repeat that every single week and run the longest long run you've ever run in your life because that's what leads to injury. That's what leads to burnout. That's what leads you to feeling flat physically and lower motivation mentally. So make sure peak weeks are peak. There's a reason that they're called peak weeks. Um, so just keep that in mind in your training um, with your peak weeks. Tip number seven, consider your footwear and inserts. So this is something I've certainly changed during these last eight months. I have shared this before on the podcast that I've been gradually weaning myself out of custom foot orthotics. I was a wearer of custom foot orthotics, very rigid foot orthotics, I might add, since college. One of my professors at the time, 
I got piriformis syndrome. They're like, oh, it's because you're an overpronator. Put you in orthotics, put you in like super big, you know, motion control stability shoes. Didn't know any better at the time. That definitely wasn't the right recommendation after all I know now. Um, so what I've been doing over these last eight months is decreasing the amount of stability in my insoles. And so I went from custom to a um, off the shelf kind of semi-custom um, orthotic, like super feet kind of orthotic that's carbon fiber, um, but it's pretty rigid still. Um, it's more of a carbon fiber material, but now I even decreased to more of a flexible insole. However, that's not the only thing I did. I dedicated time and energy into strengthening my foot muscles, going back to Emily's episode. So I dedicated to actually activating my short foot exercises, progressing my short foot exercises, which I, I will do. And I have a whole series of exercises for you guys, just for runners on how to progress the short foot exercise that I really essentially did some trial and error on my own problem solved, implemented uh, progression strategies, did them myself and love them. So I need to make a video on how to do that for you all. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this video, it's already linked in the show notes on how to actually make your foot stronger as a runner and progress that. But basically decreasing the reliance on stability in my shoes, as well as my inserts and strengthening my intrinsic foot muscles and my ankle muscles to make them stronger. That's something that I've done. And actually, I'm very happy with the results because my fear in my head was always, I've always needed orthotics. I've always needed the stability shoe. If I stop using that, I'm going to get that posterior tibial pain that I got like eight years ago. I would get that shin pain that I got in the beginning when I started running because of overpronation. And that was my fear. And that's what I thought, but I'm happy to report none of those symptoms whatsoever as I've been able to decrease, but gradual progression is the key guys. And you have to actually do the strengthening as well. So I think that's super important. The other thing that I've done with my shoes is, and not everyone has the luxury of this, but I did have the luxury because when I went to um, the running course and I went to conference, Hoka was there. So it was kind of nice because they had a nice conference discount where you got like 30% off um, and you can buy up to three pairs. So of course, that's what I did. Um, so I did do three pairs and I've been altering and running in more variety of shoes throughout my week and different shoes. So I am more of a fan, guys. It could be, again, it's not just because I decided to do it for a reason. There's a strategy. There's a rationale why I'm doing it to add different stressors to my body. And then I've actually done it. So now I can honestly say I have run in four different shoes um, within a week, and it's actually been good for my body and I haven't gotten injured. So I'm a big fan of changing the stressors in your running shoes and not being tied to one specific shoe every day of the week that you run in. Um, you know, think about your speed days. If you're doing speed work should probably be in a lighter shoe, probably less flexible shoe, whether or not you're doing a carbon plated shoe, that's fine. If you're an experienced runner and then, you know, what is your base shoe? Like what's the one you're going to get the most mileage out of. And then like for me now I have another shoe. I have a tempo day shoe or a really short run shoe. So it's kind of like three or four. And then I have like two speed shoes because they, they haven't reached their max 
potential yet um, of 300, 350 miles. That's kind of the max I feel like I need to replace my shoes. So I'm kind of rotating a lot of different shoes. So if you have the luxury of that, if you're in a situation where you haven't maxed out your shoes yet, perhaps consider getting your new pair now before you know you retire that pair. It just makes it a little bit more challenging, not too much. If you're a Garmin user, Garmin's very easy. You enter your shoes in, and then after my runs, if it's not my main shoe, the one that I'm wearing most of the week, I just go into my run, change gear, I click the other shoe. So now I'm tracking my mileage on each of the different shoes that I have. Um, so I'm a big fan of like, honestly, changing the stresses every single run that I have with different shoes, different elements of stability, different weights, different goals of those shoes, and then different wear patterns too. So some that are like more in their beginning phase, right? They're fresher. And then some that's kind of tailing off to the end. So I'll save those tailing off to the end guys for more for my lower mileage runs now. So consider that if you are able to do that, and I understand not everyone's going to go out there and be like, I can afford three, four pair of shoes and let me start doing this. But consider before your ones are expired, can you get a new pair now? And then you have two shoes. And then even, you know, maybe before that one's expires, can you get another pair, right? And add that into the rotation, the weekly rotation. Um, so that's kind of just considering footwear and inserts. And I'm kind of curious about this because we haven't done a full episode on this. Um, let me know in the comments if this is a topic you would like to learn more about. And if you would like me to dedicate a full training video on the topics of like shoe inserts and like orthotics versus inserts, how much should you do? How much stability? Like, what are the goals? Like, why are we doing it? Let me know. Cause we have not done an episode on that yet. Um, if enough of you say you would like it, then I will certainly work that into the schedule and put that content together for you. Um, but that was kind of tip number seven is consider your footwear and your inserts. And it's consider because it's not, that is the most important thing for your running because it's certainly not. Your running shoes are not calling, causing your injury. Um, I know that's a common misconception. There are so many other things, and it's most likely you're training errors going back to running your easy runs too fast. All right, let's get into tip number eight. Tip number eight really comes down to fueling and nutrition. So these last eight months, I've shared this multiple times on the, on the show before, um, I'm not doing any training on an empty stomach, like any training at all. Even my easy runs now, my, my short easy runs. Um, and again, because I've been building up my, my volume for my week during half marathon training, I wasn't doing any runs really less than five miles. Again, this may not be appropriate for you. Remember guys, this is my 28th half marathon I was training for. I've been running consistently for 11 years now with literally no time periods off for an extended time period due to an injury or anything like that. Um, so that is key. First off, I guess I want to preface that because I don't want you to all go out there and be like, oh, Dwayne doesn't do an easy run less than five miles. Actually, this morning I did do a two mile easy run because I was crunched for time and I wanted to prioritize that strength training I was talking about before. So this morning was a two mile because I am in recovery week, right? After my half marathon. Um, so not going out on an empty stomach, um, for me, again, I'll reiterate what works well for my stomach. I have a sensitive stomach. I get reflux. So I need to be careful with the foods I eat the night before I go for runs. Um, so the things that work for me 
And even we were actually just out at a little dinner on uh, Friday. We had a healthy runner photo shoot. So you're going to see a lot of those pics. It was super awesome. Coach Whitney from Arizona was here in Connecticut. We had the whole team together for the first time ever. Um, we had our coaching team together and we weren't on Zoom. Um, so I was super excited about that. And uh, someone asked me, it was like, I had like some rice bowl, had some chicken in it, but there were some beans in there. There were some onions in there. Typically, like that would give me a little heartburn. Um, so for those days, if I have that for dinner, before a long run, before speed work, I definitely will need to take my antacids. And then sometimes I maybe will do liquid fuel versus food food. But as long as I eat right the night before, I don't have any foods that are going to give me reflux, then I will go ahead and have some food. So what does that look like on, you know, my easy run days, as well as my uh, strength training days, that's usually some medjool dates. So I usually do two of them with my Yukan almond butter, get a little super starch in there. Um, those are easily digestible, easy on the stomach. They work out well for me. I've also done my Yukan snack bars. Those work really good. I love the peanut um, one. That's like my go-to. Um, so those are good foods that have worked for me. Bananas work well as well. And then if I am kind of um, either crunched on time, I'm getting out the door really, really quick right after I wake up, um, then I might go to a gel if I know I need fuel for a harder effort. So if I'm doing tempo, I'm doing interval, I might do a gel and or do a gel halfway through a long interval workout on the track. Um, so those are the fuel. So you need to fuel before you run guys, you know, going out on an empty tank, like you wouldn't do it to your car. Like, why would you do it to your body? Your body is the car, right? You need to fuel the engine if you expect to actually run faster and perform well. And, um, you know, I have learned a lot from Brooke, um, our healthy runner dietitian and, you know, in her nutrition for running modules that she's created within our healthy runner coaching program. Um, and Brooke's been on the show before she has shared the importance of this. So I've learned a lot from Brooke, who's a registered dietitian who specializes in working with runners. Um, so I've been learning and implementing. All right, guys. So now coming up next, I'm going to be talking about the final two. These are the two most significant things that I've changed in my training these past eight months since my last half marathon and the tip I now recommend to all my clients that I work with one-on-one. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into that, do me a favor, guys. If any of this has been helpful, like this video and comment below. What other questions do you have about half marathon training? Let me know in the comments below. And maybe we will answer your question in the next video or the Healthy Runner podcast episode. So now let's get into those two tips. So the first is tip number nine, breathing, 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 breathing. I've never been a um, good breather as I ran. I always knew breathing was my limiting factor. It was never my legs. I was always strong enough. My muscles would rarely ever get tired on me. It was literally my lungs because again, it's probably due to my makeup. I come from more of the gym rat, right? Throughout college and into adulthood lifestyle versus the endurance lifestyle. I've never swam before for like distance. I'd never cycled before. So I really was never an endurance athlete before I became a runner. So now I really need to double down and focus on my breathing. So one thing that I've really focused on guys, that's been super helpful. Remember how I said, run those easy runs, easy and slow. You should. And one thing that 
might force you to do that is focus on diaphragmatic breathing and actually breathing with your diaphragm. So what does that mean? That means belly breathing. So you're kind of inhaling, belly is expanding, and then you exhale. One way to force you to do this, because I was a heavy mouth breather, heavy mouth breather. Like I would literally inhale and exhale through my mouth, like even on easy runs, like in this half marathon that I ran last week, was I mouth breathing those last two miles? Heck yeah, I was, right? I was definitely mouth breathing. But for your easy runs, and as my heart rate was starting to gradually increase as this race was going on, um, I really feel like the breathing that I've been focusing on these last really eight months um, has helped out tremendously. And it all goes back to me focusing on it during my easy runs and really focusing on, hey, Dwayne, close your mouth. And then that, that might be hard for all of you uh, listening to this right now. Be like, he actually shut his mouth for a change. Um, close your mouth. And when you're running and breathe in and out through your nose, when you nose breathe, you can't mouth breathe. So nose breathing forces you to actually use your diaphragm. It's hard to do. Trust me, I couldn't even take like more than two or three steps in the beginning because I would like feel like I'm suffocating because <laughs> I didn't know how to breathe like that. So I would focus on doing that, maybe not running, and then implement it with those easy runs. And that's the best time to do it. And again, pace does not matter in your easy runs. So go as slow as possible, but make sure you're breathing correctly. So the other benefit to that is it's going to control those heart rate spikes. I know that's a big problem many runners have. You're like, I go out there and my heart rate like shoots up there or my heart rate's always high. Like, how do I keep it low? And this is not an episode on like heart rate training. We're going to actually have an upcoming episode all about heart rate training. So I'm super excited about that. But um, it's going to help you control your heart rate and keep it in that easy zone. So whether or not you are thinking heart rate zones, right? Your easy runs want to be in zone one, two, like usually zone two, you're going to be there for it prevents you to going to that gray zone of like heart rate zone three, which is like where you don't want to be for your easy runs, right? That's the gray area in running. And we don't want to be in those middle heart rate range and those middle pieces. Remember, easy runs easy, fast runs fast. Um, so that's something that I think has really made a big difference um, for me personally and made me more efficient when I got to the faster stuff is because of my breathing was a little more economical. Does it still need work? Absolutely. Have I mastered it? Heck no. But it's something that I'm, I'm aware of and I'm conscious of and I think is going to be a huge difference maker for me because, again, I find that those that have swam before, those that were endurance athletes, like breathing comes so much easier to them. And like, they'll do like workouts and they're like, oh, my legs are just getting tired. I'm like, my quads never get tired. Like, you know, that's not the limiting factor. So if breathing's a limiting factor for you and you're a heavy mouth breather, think about um, really doubling down on some diaphragmatic breathing. All right, guys. So tip number 10, and this is like super weird for me to share because I have never, ever done this in my life. And I can honestly say it. I've actually shared it before on the show and said this was a huge weakness of mine. Um, tip number 10 is lessons learned is to double down on your sleep quality. So your sleep hygiene, I guess that's first off. And the quality of your sleep and how do we get better quality? One thing that I've started implementing, and again, I'm a novice, no expert by any means, is some meditation. Have I ever done meditation before? 
No, never in my life. And actually, in the last episode on race anxiety with Coach Cat and Irene uh, Bosco, I did share some of this that I've been working on. So I kind of shared a little bit more of my personal story there. But one of the things that um, I kind of kind of really hit me like hard, actually, um, smack dab in the face. Um, all right, I'm going to just go ahead and share it with all of you here right now. I wasn't planning on doing this, but let me uh, share with you. Uh, so this uh, happened, I don't even remember the month now, but I did have a little kind of scare where I was rushed to like the emergency department, um, kind of cardiac scare, had a whole workup. Um, but really after everything was good with the old ticker, my family history is very high, high cardiac. All the males on my mom's side of the family have either had a heart attack or had some, uh, you know, type of arrhythmia problem. Um, so my grandfather had a pacemaker, right? So I had a, like a strong family history, even though I was healthy, all that stuff, all of the clinicians that I went to during each of the stages of triage, going from like a walking clinic to like, Hey, you can't go home and have dinner with your family. Like you need to go right to the emergency room. And then you need to go from the emergency room to the chest pain center and you need to be monitored and you need to have all these tests, the echocardiogram, you need to have like a treadmill stress test. You need to have all these things. Um, so long story short, ticker is good. Heart is good. So I'm happy about that. But what I really realized is that this was a panic attack. Essentially, I've never had one in my life before. Um, it's quite scary. My heart was racing. It felt like it was like out of my chest and my heart rate was elevated. My Garmin was literally going off when I was sitting at my computer, not like after a workout, not during a run, not after a run, not in, in the gym, didn't have any other symptoms, but my heart was like racing and like pounding out of my chest. So I really needed to reframe things. And I really needed to think about, okay, how am I going to calm things down a little bit, right? Like life is busy. I did have some stressors with the growth of the business and expanding our program and, you know, needing to fulfill, right? For my clients and all of the other pressures in life and being a dad, all that stuff I shared before. So some of the strategies that have been helpful for me. So if you're finding like you are feeling overwhelmed and you feel like stress is a big part of you not getting good sleep quality and not feeling best for your runs is um, now I rarely ever get less than six hours of sleep. Some of you might be laughing because you're like, the heck I never get like eight hours, less than eight hours sleep. Like I wish I could do that, but trust me, you guys, this is coming from someone who did like four hours of sleep all the six years during my PhD work as I was struggling two jobs. So six hours for me is like a big deal. Um, and things that have really helped for me is shutting down electronics as I'm looking at the time right now, um, between nine o'clock and nine 30. Um, and I've really been diligent with that because there's always more to do. And it's just so hard for me to leave stuff. And I really needed to commit to my own health and getting better sleep quality. So shutting down electronics, phones, computers, and then reading. I've never been a reader before, which sounds kind of silly. It's like, dude, you like had all this education. You got a PhD. What do you mean you don't read? Like, yeah, I've read journal articles and stuff, but I never like read books for leisure. I listen to podcasts. That's why I have a podcast, guys. That's why I have not authored a book um, whatsoever. I have a podcast because that's how I learn. That's how I listen. I'm very auditory. I'm very visual. That's why we do this in video format because I watch videos. I listen to podcasts and that's my form of learning. Um, 
but two things that I have, um, I actually read two books, believe it or not, in this last time period. So two recommendations I would recommend for you that have been super helpful for me. Um, Tina Muir had um, this author on her podcast and um, the Running For Real podcast. So shout out to Tina. Thank you for posting this and sharing this on your podcast is The Practice of Groundedness by Brad Stolberg. Um, kind of really changed my whole outlook, guys, not gonna lie. So if you're looking for help in this area, like highly recommend that as a read. It was an easy read. Like I got through it. Like I just told you, I never read. So I got through it. The other one was actually uh, my business coach. So shout out to Alex um, Engar, the bumpers book um, by Nick Peterson, even an easier read. It's like super thin, like super basic, easy, easy read. But it really talks about this concept of having these bumpers, meaning like the beginning of your day, the end of your day, what are the things that are going to really move the needle for your goals? And for me, it was shutting down my brain, shutting down my mind, not having my mind racing when I actually go to lay in bed. And I was always overtired as it was. So I wouldn't have trouble falling asleep, but I think my sleep quality, because my brain was like racing. It was not resting by any means. So reading before bed, shutting electronics down has definitely helped my brain shut down where I'm not thinking about, okay, I need to do this for this episode that we just had and I need to publish it and I need to, oh yeah, I need to add those notes here and I need to get back to this person and I need to actually change this in my client's program. And that's right. I need to get back to that other message that was sitting in my email that I didn't write. Like everyone can relate to this, right? Can you guys relate? Let me know in the comments if you can relate. Um, so I have actually implemented reading, uh, which sounds so trivial. And uh, some of you might be like, are you serious, dude? Uh, but now I'm actually reading a running book. So I am excited about this because um, this is Elizabeth Clore um, book, Boston Bound. And I'm actually going to have her on the podcast. Um, and I'm going to be able to interview her and ask her questions based upon the book I actually read. So this is kind of cool. So stay tuned for that episode. So Moral of the story here, shutting things down, dedicating sleep quality. I knew that was like the last bucket, honestly, that was lacking in my running, my training. Strength training was there, run plan was there, all of that, but sleep quality. Um, so am I perfect? Am I hitting 100%? Absolutely not. But as I learned about in this bumpers book, like we want to take small steps in the right direction. When you change things too drastically, guys, you're not going to stick with it long-term. Just like if you think about like, you know how we're not fans of like crazy yo-yo diets or whatever the latest craze is, like be consistent with your nutrition and be consistent with your training, right? Like consistency is key for everything in life, isn't it? So if you're just trying to change behaviors and not focus on, I need to get seven hours sleep every night. And if I didn't, I'm a failure. Like I failed many times during this course, but you know what? I'm not quitting and I'm dedicating because I know this is going to help me in the future. Um, so hopefully that was helpful for you guys. Um, really some different things that I've never done before in my life. Maybe consider doing some of these 10 tips or lessons learned from my half marathon training. And, you know, that's it running friends. Those are my 10 tips, lessons learned from my last half marathon race. And that's right. I almost forgot, guys. Big, big announcement here. This is the first time that I'm going to publicly uh, say this. And after five years, I have decided to redeem my first and only marathon in Hartford and run my second ever marathon this fall. 
at the Hartford Marathon here in Connecticut. So I'm super excited about this. First one I ran was uh, 2017. And I can actually say like I'm visually, verbally, there we go, not visual, verbally excited about this because this is something that after I did it, I was happy that I finished 26.2, huge accomplishment, right? Less than 1% of the people do that. For those that ran a marathon before, you guys know what I'm talking about. However, it did leave me like run into the ground because I wasn't training properly leading up to that marathon. I didn't have the base training that I needed. And it was before this podcast. It was before I became a run coach. It's before I've learned everything that I've learned along the way. And I really didn't have the time and space to dedicate that I needed for the training I knew I needed. So I'm not a fan of just like picking goals and marathons just because you want to do it. And I never encourage runners to do that. And there are so many times myself and our coaching team talk runners out of running marathons, believe it or not. I know that might sound crazy to you, but we're in it for your long-term health. And we want you to be able to run forever for longevity. And I find so many times runners just want to like pick a goal because of fill in the blank, whether or not you gained weight, you went through a, a big stressor in your life, whether it's a divorce, whether it's you just graduated, whether it's, I don't know, you lost your job, you got a new job, whatever the case may be, right? You hit 40, you're going to hit 50 and you're like, I'm going to run a marathon. My question to you is like, what have you been doing prior to that? The years prior to that, not just like the three months prior to that or the five months or the six months, like years, guys. Marathon training is no joke if you're going to do it right and you expect to actually maybe do it again. So I have not taken that lightly whatsoever, hence why I never made it a goal prior to this year. My goal going into after Hartford last fall was, Dwayne, let's see if you can actually build up this base training, build up my weekly mileage, tolerate that well, decrease my reliance on, um, you know, more stability shoes, more, um, you know, correction with my orthotics, double down on getting stronger as a runner, getting my feet stronger, strength training in the gym, right? Seeing how my body held up with that with a hard half marathon training cycle. And then what was the end result? So now we're at the end result, right? I had shared with you how the race went. I share with you, I'm healthy. I don't have any injuries. So, and honestly, mentally, I'm ready to move on from the half marathon. As I mentioned, I've been, you know, cracking at this thing for like six straight years now. Um, since that last marathon have run 17, I guess, total now, and I'm ready for a new challenge and I'm ready for a new opportunity. That's how I'm looking at it is like a new opportunity to learn more, to grow more as a runner. And, um, I'm just excited about that. So you will be hearing a lot more about my marathon training journey um, as we go, but I will officially start a 16-week training cycle um, beginning next week. So, um, you know, I'm ready for this new opportunity. I guess my question is, are you ready for yours? Do you guys have big goals and aspirations for running a marathon? Um, you know, whether it is your first or your 20th, let me know in the comment box. Like, what are you training for? Comment below. Um, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, do me a favor, like send me a DM on Instagram at Spark Healthy Runner. Let me know what you're training for. I just love connecting with all of you in our running community. And if you're struggling 
with your half marathon training, or you want to join me in my personal journey to conquer 26.2, and you're not sure what exercises, like we mentioned certain exercises today, um, that you should be doing for running, or how to get stronger, or how to structure your run plan with your busy schedule, that's exactly what we help runners do with our one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Um, So you can get stronger, run faster, and become a lifelong injury-free runner with our 16-week one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. So get the support structure accountability from experts in the health and running industry, personalized, easy to follow plans tailored to your unique needs and your busy life. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about Christy who signed up for our program last year at this time. Um, and she went from running slow with knee pain to crushing her first marathon. Um, so you can check out Christy's interview hear her story by clicking the coaching link attached to this training, wherever you are listening to it. You will also see the stories of many of our runners who have been battling runner's knee, hip pain, Achilles pain, plantar fasciitis, those that were just slow and wanted to get faster, right? So some of the same sticking points that you are struggling with, see how they did it. Um, let's add a spark to your marathon or half marathon training together with our team, providing you the clarity on what you need to focus on in your running specifically. What are we going to do? We're going to dial down on your nutrition. As you mentioned, we got Brooke. She is like stellar. She is like queen bee, right. Um, of our, you know, nutrition for our runners within our community. She's registered dietitian for runners. Um, we also will dial down the specific runs, that you should be doing during your week. How fast should you be doing those runs? How many miles should you be doing? What running form should you use? So there's been a couple of tweaks that we've made with some runners recently that have been game changers. Like I love seeing the comments in Final Surge. It's a platform we use. And it's like, hey, I've been working on my forward lean and my knee pain is totally shut off. Like it's been a game changer. And I just love hearing that when we make these little tweaks in running form, when we analyze your gate videos. Also the specific strength exercises for running. So we structure it out for you with easy to follow videos and true one-on-one support. So you have a question, not sure if you're running for your exercise form is good. You're not sure like where you should be feeling it and what muscle that's what we're here to do to support you. Um, This will really be either the marathon or the half marathon spark that you need. But as always, because our, our program is high touch point one-on-one spots are limited. We only work with dedicated runners who want to make real change in their running and their lives. Honestly, that's what I'm passionate about doing at this stage of my career. And this is not for someone who's just like wishy-washy and they're not ready to actually dedicate the time and energy to actually get better as a runner. So, you know, you need to apply for the program. Not everyone gets in. And if it sounds like you would be a good fit, and you want to join me in my personal marathon journey this fall, like get in our healthy runner coaching program. You can learn more about the program with a behind the scenes video tour um, by just going to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com forward slash coaching. And if you're skeptical about getting a coach, because I was too, honestly, and I have personally invested in working with a coach myself. Uh, coach Lou on our team is my coach. And um, the reason I did that is because I need someone who's got actually more experience and expertise in the specific problems that I'm having, right? That's going to guide me to my goal. So for many of our runners, it may be someone who's actually done those half marathons before, 
someone who's done those marathons before, someone who's actually gotten many runners through plantar fasciitis or through runner's knee, right? So those are the things that we help runners with. Um, I didn't have that for many years of my running. I wish I did, honestly, because I would have fast-tracked my progress and wouldn't have been stuck at that plateau that I was stuck for five years, right? And that's why I'm sharing all these tips with you guys today is because like, I wanna help fast-track your progress. Um, so one thing that I hear from many uh, runners, especially marathon runners, especially those that are like running, um, you know, they got the goal of like doing 50 states and you're like, oh, I've done like 20 marathons before on my own. Like, it'd be silly for me to get a coach because I've run a marathon 20 times before. Like I know how to do a training plan. Like I check out training plans on the internet all the time. I know that I'm supposed to do like 14 mile or 16 mile or, you know, an 18 and a 20. But my question to you is like, do you want to cross that finish line? Like without pain for the first time and marathon training should not be painful. Or do you want to like cross that finish line and actually, you know, have a time that you're actually proud of as you cross that finish line? And if the answer is yes, and you've been doing the same thing over and over again, and the result has not changed, maybe you should consider investing in a coach, whether or not you do it with our healthy runner coaching uh, team or not. Um, that would be my advice for you. Um, you know, if you want to finish that last like 10K of a marathon or that last 5k of a half marathon, like I did last weekend, feeling strong, being able to like turn on the jets, actually pass people, feel confident passing people at the end of a race. Um, that's what our runners do in our coaching program. And, you know, that's what we will be able to get you to do as you. Hey, healthy runners. Have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the so, strategies we you know talk what, about guys, like, on a weekly basis? I'm going to actually do. If so, kudos to you um, for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those so that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys so are trying really to serious, implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself, that is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online personalized structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners and then access to our trusted healthy runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Check out the behind the scenes video guys, tour of the program uh, and hear from runners just online, like you who have been through our program before. Just we would love running. to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training, whether it is 
getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one structure, accountability, and support, from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the behind the scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.